What is prettier? Flowers and sunshine or fire and dust? I'd rather have dust and fire. The sun is our enemy, right? Definitely. I'd rather be in the dark. Hello and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Retouching, the podcast in which we go in-depth with all things retouching and post-production. The show is brought to you by AstroidRetouch.com. So if you want to find out more about professional retouching, I highly recommend checking out the website and all the information that is on there. So, okay, I have a special guest here that does a little bit different work from what I'm used to. I'm mostly in beauty retouching and he is more like an artist and retouching is part of his job. And he's super into technical stuff, creative stuff and special effects. His name is Roderick and he also goes by the name of Draco Rubio. And hello on the show, Roderick. Hi, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Um excited to be here yeah it's it's a pleasure to have you on because you can talk a little bit about very different topics and have different insights than we usually have when we talk about retouching as i said before retouching actually is a broad field mm -hmm. and usually we expect just beauty retouching being part of actual retouching and the other stuff we often tend to just call photoshopping but it actually also is part of It's retouching, basically. We're manipulating pixels, we're replacing stuff. And yeah, it's great to have you as an artist and retoucher on the show and talk a little bit about these fields. Sure. That's, uh, that's what we're here for, right? Yes. Yeah, so to introduce you to the audience, can you describe what retouching in general means to you? Just a broad reference. What do you think of when you hear the term retouching? Oh, well, a lot of people call me a retoucher as well. And it, it always kind of bugs me or something because I always think I'm not a retoucher, but... You're so much more than just a retoucher, right? No, but yeah, but I'm definitely a retoucher. I, I mean, I, I retouch an image, but I create something different than we're used to. Um, but what most people forget is that you have a beauty retoucher who basically retouches images to make the beauty. Yeah, we're not creating, we're just retouching and you're retouching as part of the creating process. Yeah, so I, I go just a little bit further. I take my images, I clean my images up um, and basically the photos I take are my canvas, my starting canvas for the rest. And there's a lot of retouching in there as well. I mean, I still get rid of all the stuff that is distracting me from the image. That's what I call retouching, taking things out which are distracting and adding more stuff in there and redirecting the viewer to different parts of the image and by using tools which retouchers use as well. I learn a lot from retouchers. Uh, I've learned a lot over the years from retouchers. I think I've been using Dodge and Burn for maybe two years in my career now. And before that, mm -hmm. I didn't even know what it was. So, um, oh, okay. I mean, we can all learn from other fields and I also recommend in photography and retouching, it's good to have a look at different disciplines and learn there and learn their techniques. We all grow from it and think about other ways how to apply them to the work we're doing, right? Definitely. Absolutely. I am a photographer. I call myself a photographer, but I don't necessarily think I'm a good photographer. I know how my camera works. I know which buttons to use. But if you go in, in depth into photography, it's like, I have no idea how this works, but it works. I know what I want. But I also like to dabble in, 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 in well, you know, photo manipulation. Just recently did a course in silicone prosthetics to see what I can make from that. Mm -hmm. And I, I also get a lot of inspiration from, from cartoonists, from, from, from illustrators, movies as well. I pick from everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of conceptual things that are not bound to just one discipline, yeah. right? And you can draw from inspiration from all of them. Because they are all creatives. Right. And we don't necessarily have to invent the wheel uh, for ourselves no, again and again. I think it's important if you want to, want to find your own way to not just look in the, part, in, in, in the area you're working in, but just broaden your, your view, get more inspired by different things than the other people who are doing the same thing as you are. Yeah, sure. So 
to have a little bit better background of your history, can you go into how you got where you are now, how you transitioned from the work you're doing before into now creating art and learning about retouching? How did you find your start in all of that? Well, um, I'm 42 right now, so that's, it could be a long story, but I'll try to keep it short. I've always been, been creating since I was a little child. I mean, I've always been drawing. You can find books at my parents' home full of drawings by, by me. I was always tell, telling stories. Stories were really important. I grew up in a cartoon age in the 80s uh, when He-Man and Transformers came out and with Star Wars and stuff. So I was highly inspired by that. I now have the theme song of He-Man in my ear. Right. Nice. <laughs> Thanks for that. You're welcome. Um, I, I've got Transformers in my head right now. Thank you. So I was always inspired by those things. Cartoons were always the, the best thing to watch because everything was possible in cartoons. So I, I copied a lot of images I saw from cartoons. And eventually I, I ventured into the Arts Academy. Um, I got accepted there. I did a, a, a bachelor. I have a bachelor degree in 3D animation and visual effects. All right. Really diff different stuff, right? And fast moving subject. I mean, the development of the technology in this field is moving very fast as well. Yeah, it was. It always has been. Um, unfortunately, I worked with it at a time when I think computers were not strong enough to create what I needed to create. It took too long. Uh, it was really, really hard to get it working. Uh, so I dabbled in that. And eventually I got into work as a motion designer, motion graphics designer. I love commercials. I did a lot of promos for television shows and stuff. And that was doable because it wasn't 3D. It was actually 2D, just moving parts in a screen. And that was doable. But I still had the background of how 3D worked and stuff. And I always had the idea of working in the visual effects industry, but I actually never got there. But that was a creative endeavor as well. So after a few years, I stopped being creative. I was just doing things and making things for other people. And I wasn't really happy. I was like, I'm always creating something for, for somebody else. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling my own story. Which comes back to like your early ages when you considered yourself being a storyteller and then you're getting into, into you have to make money and you have to work for other people and not being necessarily creative and the whole process becomes yeah. more technical. It's different why you're doing it now than versus why you got into it, basically. Yeah, definitely. At one point I thought, well, I'm doing 20% creativity and 80% doing administration and networking and that was I, I couldn't handle that that was just not me i needed to create whenever i choose to and actually all the time so i basically flunked out of doing animation and motion graphics and visual effects and stuff still kept creating but on a lower level um, and then photography actually came my way um, i started to try out stuff with a camera i was like what can i do with this thing yeah which records light and stuff. And that was just at the beginning of the digital camera age. So it, it became easier to take a picture, bring it into your computer and start manipulating from there. So you've been introduced to Photoshop before getting a camera or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Photoshop had always been a side software, which I always used in my 3D work and my 2D work for animation. You need to prepare your images to be used in your animation. I used to make textures in there as well. So it w I always use it as a side project, like, okay, I need to use this program and then go yeah. back to my main program, like Maya or After Effects and stuff. Yeah. And then when you got your camera, you basically rediscovered, uh, okay, I already know I can mess around with the images, right? Yeah. So what, what happens if I take a photograph, something real, something tangible, which I've recorded on this camera, what, what, what happens when I push that into Photoshop? I, I was curious what, what would happen by that. Mm -hmm. So there was this starting point from with a camera. And the fun thing is I was learning so much about a camera, how a camera worked, that things clicked because I was used to working in 3D space where you have a camera as well, where you have all mm -hmm. these settings, which never said anything to me, like aperture and lenses and stuff. There wasn't. Yeah, there was no, was no connection basically right. to uh, the physical right. uh, way of how things act, right? But I also think it's valuable for development to already know or not accept the thing that you record as the final thing. And I know there are a lot of photographers, especially maybe older generations that were stuck with, 
I record reality and you were like, I wasn't trying to create reality from the start because I was in visual effects and now I take images and yeah. of course I am going to mess around with them. Absolutely. That was my, my complete starting point within photography. I, I take this image and what can I do with it? What is this raw material I can work with? I, that's still how I see photography. I, I take a picture and it can be nice by itself, but I always look at the possibilities of what can I do with it. The, the simplest thing is, can I turn it to black and white and will it be better or not? So photography for me is gathering raw data to work with and to create what I, what I create. That's just my way of working. And at some point, it, as you said, clicked and it all made sense to you. And But you still probably were not at the point where you're now. So where you have probably a more fundamental understanding of what you want. And so how was it to, to go through the process of still discovering and learning uh, in pace? That was amazing. I used a, um, a project called 365 on Flickr.com. Um, where basically you make a self-portrait every day for a year. That was the project. Yeah. Uh, and there were no rules. You just have to do that. And you were the only boss on, on, on the project. So it's just you and every day a selfie, which gave me the opportunity to every day get that camera, try something new, try something different. There was a, a very large and active community back then where people would comment on on each other, where people would discuss things, be very open, be very friendly. And you could look at other people's pictures the way they took their pictures. And I learned so much from Flickr just by reading how people got to their image, how they created their image. And by reading the EXIF data, there was usually an EXIF data tab in there as well, where you could read which lenses those people used, what apertures they used, what ISO they used. So that was a really large and fun way of learning how the camera worked, how I could get what I had in my mind out of that camera. And it was so much fun because I, I was just on my own in my attic, having no lights at all, just a camera on a, on a tripod and a 10 second timer and trying to create an image you had in your head or, or a theme or anything. And that was a really fun process. Yeah. It also forces you to become creative. It definitely does because try to make an image, an interesting image every day. That's really hard. Unless you let go of that and just say, okay, I'm just going to do this. Because I didn't expect to be creating a masterpiece every day. That's impossible. Yeah. And I mean, we also go like when it comes to creativity, we have phases where we have creative ups and creative downs. And you don't necessarily can force us, but you can force yourself to work on your creativity. And without doing that and putting you on a little bit pressure It's just going to being lucky to come up with something creative. And otherwise, you're just really working on it and you can not force it, but you're putting yourself in the active position to become creative, right? So, yeah, you can't expect to be creative all the time, every time. I mean, it's impossible. You get, you get these up and down periods where at some point you are very creative and you can't stop creating stuff. but There's also periods where you just can't be bothered to create anything. I have those. Um, and it's no shame to have those. I mean, the trick is getting out of them. Yeah, right. So usually when I'm not creating, when I'm not busy creating anything, um, I try to do different things, which either spark my new creativity or make me feel like I want to create. Uh, I, I start learning. I start watching tutorials, start reading up on things. And that probably fuels your passion to okay i have new inspiration or i have learned something new and i want to go and do stuff with it give it a try yeah. yeah and try it and that's usually how you get out of it or just don't be creative at all just spend a few days watching television binge watch a series or something or cuddle with the cats or cuddle with cats definitely but That's something you need to do every day. Just as a side note, before recording the session, we've been talking about our cats for like an hour and a half. So just for the listeners to know, that's why I'm bringing it up again. Cats are always good. They're amazing, right? They are, definitely. You should definitely have a cat. Well, I have one and you have two. <laughs> they can be your best buddies and they can be your worst nightmare. So yeah, it's a relationship. It definitely is, but they're fun. So yeah, I mean, being active in the phase of not being creative usually is the way to go. Also, often with 
not feeling creative comes the feeling of being depressed. For creatives, it's the best way to either live with that situation and let it be to regain energy or become active and we have to figure out what works best, right? Yeah. And I mean, we're always growing. So you also outgrow some things. If you just stick to whatever you're doing, you're going to get bored, I guess. Yeah. And for some people, some people get bored easily and some people don't. I, I get bored easily, really. So if I've been doing the same thing over and over again, I get bored and I want to do something else. So I introduce something else into my either my work or my, my, my schedules or my way I create stuff. I need to do something new, something that sparks something with me. So that's why I did the Silicon Prosthetic Workshop a few, a few uh, last month, which really gave me new perspective on how to create new things. I was like, oh, I can create masks and I can create this and that. And yeah, right. You don't need to rely on someone else and you can come up with little things you can do by yourself and make things happen. Yeah. The biggest problem is finding the time to actually create everything you want to create. Time always gets in the way. So yeah, you transition from being an art student now to uh, working in 3D and animation and video and then discovered you want to do your own thing and you're much better taking images and making something new out of them, something creative and yeah. use all your special effect knowledge and your Photoshop knowledge to do all that. And now you're working for international clients and creating concepts and... So I now have to ask when you would have to put yourself into a certain frame or field or type of work, which, how would you describe this type of work you actually want to be booked for or like to work on? That's a really difficult question. I know. Well, yeah, there, there are two things I like to do. I, I like to create my own images on my own field of mind, I guess, just getting things out of my head. But I like the challenge of being put in, in, in front of an image that I need to work on. I mean, every image can be worked on in a, diff in a different way. And I like that I can help out people, clients, with their need, which, and, which I can enable. I mean, I don't like beauty retouching. I don't know why. Somehow my field kind of works the same. Well, it's a special thing. And I often tend to say it's not necessarily the most creative thing because it's Mm -hmm. mostly very repetitive and also on different images there's not much creativity to put in except for like little things and playing with color so the main task of beauty retouching is the cleanup and making it look polished and that's yeah it's becoming the same thing again and again and i assume you most likely won't be happy to just work with it because of the lack of creativity you can put in yourself. True, true as well. I mean, there's a technical aspect in there as well, which is interesting. I, I love the way retouching techniques work, but I'm always learning from that as well. But like you said, it can get very repetitive over time, especially when you're doing this phase and then the other phase and then another phase and then another phase yeah. and they all need to look the same. Yeah, and you have a series of images and it's yeah. doing the same again and again and again on the same face on the same clothing and yeah usually for us beauty and fashion retouchers the first one or two images they are fine and then it becomes work when it's become really repetitive yeah and tedious so i don't mind doing them from time to time but just not as a full-time job that would be that would be terrible for me yeah sure and now let's get into the stuff that enables you to do all that work shall we Go ahead. So I want to ask what hardware you're using to do all your work. So how's your desk and your setup look like? What gadgets do you use usually to create your images? Oh, so many. I'm a real button freak. I, lo I love everything that's technical that has a battery. <laughs> we are men. We all like pushing buttons. It's weird, isn't it? Why is that? I don't know. <clears throat> But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big gadget freak and that, that's... A shortcoming of myself i know actually i don't need anything there's nothing wrong with having stuff and having gear and trying things out because eventually it can help us and can become uh, help us become more efficient yeah absolutely yeah i i remember buying my my when i started photography the digital photography i had already a digital camera a three megapixel i don't know which brand it was but a three megapixel digital camera 
which I bought in 2001 in Singapore. Yeah, and I think most of us never have been using a digital camera with this low of a megapixel. Count. I actually used one with one megapixel before that during my studies. They existed and they were really hard to work with. Can you imagine working with it? It's it's terrible. But that's what I started out with. Um, I started out with that camera with a with an attic with a small window, and that was my light. And I used styrofoam as a bounce for my light. And I did that for about a year. I took my photography for half a year and it worked in Photoshop on my laptop and I did my images. And I say this because I keep reminding me to go back to that mindset. I created, I learned with the most basic tools I had. I had something to capture my image. I had my own imagination. I had no electrical lights to use. And that was it. And I created But you learn to master all these tools, right? Yeah, I did. And I mean, you learn them by using them, definitely. But at the moment, I, I of course, I've upgraded quite a bit. I recently bought a new camera. I, I'm using uh, an Olympus OMD 5 Mark II as my main camera. Mm -hmm. I just invested in a new studio strobe, a Godox 8600 Pro to use in my studio. I have a big umbrella, which gives me the beautiful light for my portrait. And my well, because it's always better, right? <laughs> they get so much better, definitely. I just get so happy from an image I get from my from my camera just by that. So my basic, my basis, my base image is great. As soon as your base image is great, it's the same what we're saying in beauty retouching. If you start with a crap image, it's going to be a crap image in the end, no matter the retouching effort Absolutely. you're putting in. Yeah, definitely. And when you're sitting down for post production, um, what hardware do you use? First thing I like to ask is, are you a PC or a Mac guy? Um, I'm a Mac guy at the moment. Oh, it's going to change. Interesting. So let's get into this. <laughs> I kind of like sometimes the, the controversy because after all, we're just using a computer as a tool and Photoshop is going to be the same. But it's still, we like to favor one or the other and I like to get into it. But so maybe you can get into the reasons why you might change that in the future. Well... I have been working with a Mac for, well, maybe 10 years, I guess. I don't have a desktop computer. I have a laptop, mm -hmm. mainly because I move around a lot. I do a lot of workshops. I do a lot of lectures. I travel a lot. So I like my computer to be portable, which gives you a few disadvantages, actually, because you can't have big cards, you can't have big memory and stuff. Sure. Um, I mean, you could get such a gaming laptop that is super heavy but that defeats the purpose of being mobile and traveling around as well absolutely and i like to downsize I, i i know i really like to downsize i used to have a big canon dslr and i changed back to a very small olympus camera a micro four thirds just for the size of it and i loved it yeah. i took it out with me uh, you, you notice you take it out more and more because it's so small and, and the size is great and the images are perfect yeah, it's easier to bring right yeah and the images are perfect which come out Uh, same goes with my, my computer. I'm very happy with it. Basically, I've done all the images you see, all my 15-inch MacBook Pro, and that's it. I don't need a big computer. I would love to have a big computer to work on, but that would mean that every time I wanted to work on an image, I need to go to my studio to work on it. But now, if I'm at home, I have my laptop, or if I'm at yeah. somewhere else, I have my laptop, I can work on it. Where the creativity sparks that you can do your stuff. Yeah. That's important. Yeah, I can even work, if I wanted to, I can even work on my iPad, do a full composite on my iPad if I need to, because the software is just there. I mean, why not? Yeah. Well, that's the difference of working on creative stuff versus the stuff I'm doing. So I have to be at my workstation and I have to shut down all the artificial or the available light and use very controlled artificial light that is not glaring off my monitor so i'm always in the same environment to judge because my brain is learning the environment and how to interpret the colors and i have to rely on that heavily to do all the corrections so i freak out when i have to go somewhere else and work on a laptop yeah. it's just like too much change for my brain to to deal with Usually it takes for me to adapt, adapt to an environmental change for a period of one to two weeks until everything is at the same level as it was before. Yeah. But that's how different the things are and how different the focus is. So I'm on a beauty retouching workflow. I'm super technical and super controlled and your retouching is cleaning things up and then becoming super creative with it. 
so that's how different these are and that's how different our environments and how we treat things and our workflows have to be to deliver the work we're doing right yeah definitely i mean i the, the biggest thing that need that gets my work flowing is my mindset so i need to have a, a an environment that, that 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 stimulates me i cannot have a television running next to me when i'm working because i'll just be watching television instead of working on something i cannot listen to podcasts or anything because I'll start listening to the word instead of working on, on images, but I can use music. Music is a lot of, is a big influence mm -hmm. on stuff. Um, I mean, if I'm working on a dark image, I'll, I'll put on some dark music. If I'm working on a, on a, on a bright image, I'll put on some happy music, which yeah. doesn't it really puts, happen puts that much. You in, the, in the right position and the right mood to create what you want to create, right? Right, absolutely. I have tried it myself when I'm retouching. So the idea was, okay, this is pretty repetitive work. Mm -hmm. And maybe I can watch movies, but still, by every action I do, there goes a consideration into it to make it or not make it yep. on how you're doing it. And there's so many of it. So your focus still is so directed into the work you're doing. So I cannot pay attention to the movie True. and don't pick up anything of it. Or I just watch the movie and don't necessarily get any work done. No. So that didn't work for me as well. True. Even though I was thinking like, okay, this is so repetitive and I'm doing a cleanup, just really easy stuff. But yeah, that's how your mind sometimes tricks you into thinking where your attention has to go or, or how much capacity your mind has to get things done. And of often we don't have that much capacity. No, and I mean, especially with repetitive tasks, You need to shut down everything and just do the repetitive task. I mean, I can do repetitive tasks really well, but I need to shut down everything. There doesn't need to be a person next to me. There doesn't need to be any influences from outside. And I can just go and I can do it really well. Yeah. Well, I, I sometimes say it's like therapy. It's like, okay, you're doing this repetitive stuff and you can actually enjoy it for quite a while without when you don't have any distraction or anything sure. like, okay, you're getting into it and getting into the flow and just doing it. Yeah. Flow is so important. It can be really easy to break your flow. Yeah. Where cats can instantly. Yeah, they can. <laughs> That's why I don't work with when I'm, when my cats are here. So the hardware using obviously photography gear, uh, camera lighting, artificial lighting and studio lighting, and then using your laptop, using a Macintosh operating system yep. and you're putting everything into Photoshop and, and do you have any other gear like a tablet or anything you need to get your stuff done? Not necessarily need, but makes it much easier to get things done. Yeah, sure. I invested in the, in, in the Olympus OMD five this year and I was really interested in doing macro photography at the moment. So I'm gathering all these bugs and stuff and trying to take pictures of them and Being a technical guy, I just don't, I don't just want to take one picture. I'm actually just experimenting with focus stacking, which means basically taking a lot of pictures from a small bug and just shifting the focus from front to back and then putting it into, into a helicon focus to have it render out in a completely in-focus image because you can't get completely in-focus image with just one picture with a macro lens, yeah. basically. So I'm trying that. I'm, I'm experimenting because the, the camera enables me to do it. I can use it tethered to my computer using Olympus Capture. And then you have to put it together and post. Yeah, and then okay. I have to put it together and post. And I'm trying to find the most efficient way to do this. Because the first time I did it, I took 200 pictures by hand, which means pressing the, the, the re release button on my computer, adjusting the focus on my computer, next image. And that took me, well, a whole afternoon just to get an image. Yeah in there yeah, yeah so i as far as i know there are usually two methods to do this one is to move the camera and the other one is to shift the focus in the lens mm -hmm. to create these yeah you need to shift and focus. I, i know for the canon cameras with magic lantern you can program that mm -hmm. and if you have an autofocus lens you can do these automatic stacked images basically yeah. not in camera but it shifts the focus like the, the tiniest steps you can or you can even program the steps yep. and how many images you want to take that's i don't know if the olympus can do that as well yeah they can definitely they can do it by hand i mean it can shoot 10 images per second or more if you need to um, but it can completely automate everything if i want to but the trick is i wanted to use my strobe as well which doesn't seem to work because 
getting the sync and the high speeds and stuff. It's, it's something I'm trying and I'm just experimenting with. And it's really fun because it, feel, it feels like I'm learning something new again. It's frustrating because you don't get perfect results every time and it takes time. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, it's, it's really fun because I'm actually learning new things and um, I love learning new things. That's the best thing to do. And patience usually is the key to progress. It is. Getting things done. Yeah. And getting frustrated as well. <laughs> but it's the, the more annoying part that you have to learn how to deal with over time. So um, when you're working on your laptop, do you have any other accessories connected to it, like a, a Wacom tablet or anything else that helps you? So what do you have to, to create more efficiently or on a more ergonomic way? Um, I, have, I have my laptop on an elevated stand. So it's more, more, um, ergonomical to work on for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And I, I have it connected to a Dell 4k screen just to have some more room. Okay. It's, it's an angular screen. Yeah. That's the thing about the Mac laptops usually, or the, the iMacs even as the glared screen. And I yeah. usually prefer the matte screen. Yeah. Same, same with me, especially because my desktop is situated with my back to the windows. So I can oh, yeah. see my windows. That would be studio. nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. But this is a non-glare screen. The most important thing for me for a screen would be real estate. Mm-hmm. Like the more pixels I have, the better I can move things around. So you probably have a 27-inch? Yeah, it's a 27-inch 4K image. Uh, 4K. Okay, um, so it's a newer one as well. Okay. I'm still at, 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 at 2K without LEDs even. So it's quite old. It takes still some time to warm up and get to the correct brightness. So at some point I'm going to upgrade, but the thing is, as long as this is working and the color and the uniformity is still okay, I'm not going to switch monitors. No, I mean, you need that. Retouchers really need a good screen. Yeah, it's the thing. But sometimes I would like to have just a 4K, but... Well, it's a 4K. I mean, it's overrated. It's really hard to find the correct screen for your own work. I mean, if you're a beauty retoucher, there are different aspects which are uh, important like color correctness glare and stuff uh, i don't care about those things i just need a lot of space to move around stuff and to have my image as big as possible uh, in screen it doesn't need to be too big because i don't want to move my mouse too much uh-huh. uh, if you're an illustrator that would be different but if you need to move your mouse to just get to a menu and if it takes too long that's it's a nightmare you don't want that that's why i intend to arrange my hardware setup and my photoshop so i don't need to make these movements True. over big distances. Yeah. Um, so you're probably also using a tablet. Yeah, I'm using a Wacom as well. I've got an Intus Pro, not the latest one, but the one, the, the series before that. Uh, I mean, that's a medium. I used to have a big one, large one. Um, Speaking, when we, we are talking about the distances you have to make with the mouse, how is it with the pen? Do you map down the area you're using when you're doing your composite work? Or do you use the complete? No, no, absolutely not. Because I tend to map things down because I don't like to move the mouse and my arm around all the time. So I'm mapping down the area I'm using. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting in front of this for hours and hours and I don't like to lift my arm and put it somewhere. But we're all different. We all have different preferences yeah, by course. how we, 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 we are using our mouse. Some need a super high sensitivity and some cannot deal with it. So I'm just curious to see how different people have different preferences and how they like to work. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, if you're doing like the repetitive stuff, like with the beauty retouching, I, you don't want to move too much because you'll get repetitive strain injury and stuff. I mean, if I'm working on an image, I'm, I'm doing a bit of retouching, so I don't want to move a lot, but I'm also using broad strokes to make like layers and, and fire and stuff. Mm-hmm. So and then obviously you have all this real estate to make super smooth and long strokes. Yeah, Whereas when you map things down, then the accuracy for like long strokes and paintings. Yeah. So I need to be, I need to be somewhere in between an illustrator, which uses a large yeah. surface area and, right. uh, and a retoucher, which uses a small yeah. one. I also have a the, the smallest Wacom Intuos, not the not the Intuos Pro. Mm-hmm. It used to be the Bamboo. Oh yeah, I have the small one, the, the wireless Bluetooth one in my bag as well, so I can always work and it's easy to travel with and stuff. And I really love the small space. I remember I've done sized everything. I mean, the first Wacom I had was an A3, the large 
beige one, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. I bought that one on a, on a, on a somewhere. There was a demo model, which was a large one. And I used to work on that one. It took up my whole desktop. And I actually scaled down from that one to a large Intuos Pro to a medium Intuos Pro. And now I'm on the smallest Wacom I can get just because it fits in my bag. And I have my whole studio set up in my bag, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I would like to have a Wacom tablet with the same sensitivity as the Intuos Pro series, but as small as the from Apple, the touchpads. That would be the perfect size for me to work as a retoucher. And I mostly I'm using the mm-hmm. Cintiq 13-inch for doing work, but I map down the area that is sensitive to the smallest possible, just because otherwise, like even 13-inch is way too much arm movement for me. And I cannot imagine doing retouching on like a 27-inch Wacom because I every time I have to go, it's like lifting the arm for hours and hours and it's just getting tired. That makes sense. But on the other hand, it's like I, if I wouldn't do just the work I was doing, there's so many reasons to have a bigger one and to have more real estate True. to move your arm around for precision and... Is when I think about drawing and making a, a line that is really smooth. I mean, we now have tools that help us in Photoshop, but even if we don't want it, it's so much better to have more space to move instead of having mapped down everything and you're going from left to right in just one and a half True. centimeters of space. Okay, so you're using Mac computers and you're using a laptop usually, you're like downsizing everything. You're still using Wacom tablets and then... Obviously, you need to process your images and get them into Photoshop. So what are you using there? How are you structured? Do you use Lightroom or anything else? Don't talk to me about structure. I'm totally not structured at all. <laughs> well, you, you, yeah. you're creative, but you have a way of starting and ending up with something. Yeah. Over the years, I've been using Bridge mostly as my main image uh, repository. Mm-hmm. So you're not necessarily... Using a library? No, no, I, I, I did use them years ago. I used, I worked, well, everybody who uses an Apple uses photos the first time until it breaks mm-hmm. and then you're fucked. Um, so that was my first library. I broke because I don't know why, but they break. Then I started using Aperture, which used libraries as well. And now Aperture is not available anymore? It still is actually. Um, yeah. yeah the, but I, I think they... They stop development. So it's still available. It still works, kind of. but um, I... For all the cameras, probably. Yes. Okay. So they're not updating to new cameras as well? And you... No, they're not. So if you, if you have all the libraries, they should still be working. But um, So I broke a few libraries in there as well. I lost a few years of work, definitely. So I was sad about that. So I, I said to myself, I never want to work with libraries again, never with closed libraries. I need to know where my images are yeah. all the time. But of course, with using a laptop, you don't have that, that much real estate in space. So I needed to figure out something. So basically what I do, I'm not using Lightroom because I didn't understand their library structure and I was put off by everything. Only use Lightroom when I have like a series of images I need to work on. So occasionally you get asked to do a wedding or you get asked to do a party or something or an event. Sure. But you could do the same in, in Bridge and just sync things over. Yeah, but um, you, if you have a large amount of images, you want to do like a, um, a standard overall image processing, yeah. which Lightroom is perfect for. That's the only time I used Lightroom. I definitely don't use it as my cat- uh, cataloging and, and keeping track of where my images are. That's what I use. It's the same for me. So I'm working project-based and I don't need a library for that. So I don't want to have a library that I have to put to an external source and take with me and copy it over and keeping it all synced. And I just need to know where my files are, where my project is, opening things up from there and put it away when I don't need it into backup space and don't bother about it anymore because I don't want it. You don't want to be confronted with old work all the time in your library. No, that's true. Because usually you don't need it, right? But I do need to have access to all my images at all time. Yeah. So um, So let's get back to the hardware stuff, how you're set up for backup and how you're storing all this because you have textures and all the stuff you need to have access to all the time to create your stuff. Yeah. Well, a few years ago, I, I found this program called Brazilio Sync. It used to be called BitTorrent Sync. It basically works the same as like a Dropbox or a cloud-based storage. But instead of using a cloud-based storage, 
I can allocate a folder on my computer and say, sync this one to my computer at home. And back home, I have a Mac Mini running, which is basically my home theater uh, PC. It runs Plex and everything, and I can watch television and series and movies from it. But it's also attached to a NAS. Well, it's not really attached to a NAS, okay. but um, it's an attached... It's storage. running the NAS. And, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's running a Drobo, which has, at this moment, 16 terabytes of this. So you have a RAID box basically connected to your home yep. computer and that one acts yep. as your file server basically and you're just copying it over for backup and storage. Yeah, okay. and I can do selective seeing so every time yeah. I can get into the Mac Mini from everywhere in the world if I need to, I can log in and just say, well, uh, sync this one or sync this one and then it appears on my laptop instantly. Everything on my laptop is being backed up continuously so everything that, that is new on my laptop will be sent home as soon as I have a network connection. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm not even bothered about losing my, my computer anymore. Yeah. Which is important because I lug it around everywhere. Yeah, sure. And it's much safer than having a backup on location and then you have to deal with, okay, when I'm traveling, I need to put this in a different car and just to make right. sure if something yeah. happens. So you're going into a hotel and everything is automated and yep. gets pushed over the internet back home. Yep. That's correct. And from there, once it's back home, the, 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 the complete NAS or actually all my pictures, they are being backed up to, yeah. um, what, what am I using? I'm not using, I'm using Backblaze, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I used to, used to, used like to use Crash Blinds. Yeah. yeah, it's a cold storage. Uh, so they back up every hour or something. So I'm safe, I guess. I've never had to restore anything, but um, I've lost too, many, too much work. Yeah. I mean, we all learn from this. So I'm coming from the IT environment and I know the best ways to, to back things up. But when it comes to making investments and, and when it comes to money, you tend to think, oh, I might invest in something else or uh, don't spend sure. all the money on just the infrastructure. And at some point you eventually learn, oh, it might have not been the best idea. So I'm now set up in a way, so I have, so I have an active, SSD where I put all my current stuff and I have software syncing it over to the internal RAID. So I have an internal backup already. And when I don't need access to the current stuff, I just delete it because I know it's synced over to the RAID already. And the RAID system, the internal is also synced to, um, to a file server that I have. Yeah. So I usually the current stuff I'm working on is located in three places at the same time. Yep. Until I decide, okay, that's not current work anymore and delete it off of the active storage and basically put it into my RAID. So that's, that's my way of doing it because I have lost some less important stuff, but I don't want to get into the situation where I, in the slightest potential way, lose something for a client. No, that's true. And I mean, I'm, I'm usually my biggest client, so usually... When there's, I don't know, uh, a licensing issue with somebody wants to license an image which has been made like years ago, you don't want to pick off like a small JPEG from your website or something. Yeah. You just want to full file and make it available for them or make adjustments to them. So, uh, and this goes back years. So you need to know where those images are in what year and stuff. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I, I just don't want to lose anything. I, I did start making uh, hard drive backups, which I stored in my studio at the moment. Just to be safe and sure, but I'm quite confident my, my work is kind of safe as long as well, digital work can be. Sure. But there are also advantages and disadvantages of having a physical copy somewhere laying around because with digital files, people often don't know they have to be moved from time to time. Otherwise, they might end up being corrupt at some point. So yeah, sure. storing something on a hard drive and putting it in a shelf for 10 years, there might be a chance just a chance of some data not being the same as you put them on. No, true. It's all magnetic, so yeah. Yeah, and f like when you're putting it on a server uh, that is running 24 hours, they usually, if it's a good system and a good setup, they move files from storage to storage back and forth if you are like really being yeah. in the server world constantly. So they are uh, minimize the risk of losing data just true. by file corruption. And yeah. yeah. There still is no sure way to save anything unless you print it. Right. Yeah, data storage is an issue. And luckily, we have a system in place where we can store and 
have a little bit of redundancy and you and your system yes. you can access your file from everywhere which is a good thing and then you're taking your files with you or you're capturing it and then you're putting it into raw processing so let's get a little bit into raw processing so what you're doing there and which software you're using for it you mentioned you're using bridge mainly uh, do you use anything else yeah next to bridge I, i used to use bridge and the camera raw filter to get my images into Photoshop. But lately I've been using Capture One as well. I've been trying to figure it out, the way it works and stuff. But the main reason I, I started using it because I, I don't trust Lightroom, definitely not. Uh, it's yeah, too you, much. Uh, they take control of where they put files and they have cache files and all that stuff. You never know where they're going. And then you wonder why your hard drive is for, right? Right. I never get the feeling that I'm working on the images. So I'm, I'm always feeling that I'm working on so, some sort of a proxy or something. It just doesn't feel connected. And given my past um, loss of images, I, I'm, I didn't, don't like to use Lightroom. So I invested in Capture One, mainly because, well, the images look way better on, the, on, on them. Yeah, there's something to the color profiles they're using. They are different. Yeah. And the engine of raw processing. They look sharper and stuff. I mean, yeah, it's, sh it's, sharpness is one thing. I like to address it this way. So the starting point they're giving us is a different one. That doesn't necessarily mean the images need to be sharper. No. Capture One does a good job in presenting the image of what you expect your images to look like. Yeah. And I like to compare it to video where you usually have a really flat image and you can also in raw converters use a linear curve and add all the contrast and saturation back yourself. But they're taking all these steps and doing it for you and they're doing a good job of providing that. And sharpness is part of what they're doing to the image. And it doesn't necessarily mean you can't get to the same sharpness level with Adobe, but the maybe the time investment you have by not having to fiddle around with the image in the first place is valuable to a lot yeah, of people. Definitely. Basically for me, I opened an image in Capture One, I was like, okay, this looks great. I opened the same image in Lightroom and I was like, well, It needs work. It needs work. Yeah. That's a good measurement for me. That and other different features. Um, what I especially like, especially when you're working with clients, is you have the annotations. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've actually sat with a client next to me and I've been drawing on the images and getting feedback from them. Well, you need to change this. You need to change that. Yeah. And it translates to Photoshop. And even if I work a few weeks after on the image, I still have all the annotations we made that day. Which is great. And in terms of the workflow, I know there are annotations you can make within Photoshop, but that means also you have to export your file, create a Photoshop file or a TIFF file, right. and then putting it up. And you have more time to invest for opening up and saving the file. And you don't have direct access to the, to the notes you've been taking. Whereas in Capture One, you open up your session or whatever and it opens up really quickly because it doesn't have to load everything and it doesn't have to to uncompress all the files and have a much better overview of what you need to work on versus uh, having to open up all the Photoshop files. So I can see in terms of workflow, this is a big advantage. Yeah, it is. And it also, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still tr figuring everything out. I mean, I'm, I'm not, it's still not completely in my workflow yet, but I know it can work from a, uh, a network drive. So if I leave my images on my network drive, I can access them from within Capture One. I know Lightroom doesn't. It needs to have a local mm. file system, uh, which is no, no good for me because I'm working on a laptop. And then you have to manage your syncing and don't know where the files are and where you think. Yeah, and I mean, a, a shoot or a session can take quite a while to transfer mm. over wireless to your computer. True. You don't have time for that. I just want to point to that direction and make an export if necessary and then have the computer do everything for me instead sure. of waiting for all the images to be back on my computer. And so those were a few of the things which made me go over to Capture One instead of Lightroom. Well, it makes sense. Uh, depends on how we structure our workflow. I know Adobe is working on having people going their cloud way and having everything stored there so you don't have to access it and it's supposed to make things faster, but then you have to rely on their system and not everyone wants to pay the money for storage and everything and and i mean i'm also curious i mean I'm, i've seen a lot of my friends and my creators uh working with capture one i was like okay how does this work so i've tried a few demos i was really amazed by it i was like okay 
maybe this is something and right now I'm trying to incorporate it into my complete workflow, trying to make my first year in Capture One uh, and see how it goes. I mean, it makes time to, to figure out your way and especially when you're like us professionals, what some companies uh, usually don't understand is uh, when they're focusing on getting new customers, they don't think about all the existing users that might have a hard time of making changes to their workflow and it takes them time and they need to rely on how things used to be for much longer than someone is is getting new into the sure. system right and that that's why i think adobe they have these um mobile platforms that not a lot of us professionals adopt to because it requires us to change so much and we fear of losing control or uh, safety or anything. So I don't know, it's a hard thing for us to change a system, right? Yeah, but most people are creatures of habit. So we learn a way of making things and we stick to it. Everything that comes new that is changing is always a bad thing. And I don't see it that way. I'm always interested in how does this work? Will this benefit me? I don't have a workflow. Uh, because I change my workflows every so often because I get bored or... Well, also we, we we learn and we grow and we can overthink how we do things and make them more efficient for us or make them work for us in a different way because our gear has changed, our technology has changed and we partially adapt for making this work. And part of this is yeah. downsizing and making things lighter and more accessible, right? Yeah. I mean, the tools everyone has nowadays to create something are in our pockets. True. We didn't have that a few years ago. I mean, why not embrace it? I like to take and edit pictures on my phone just because I can. Yeah. I have a different image in mind now thinking about what we have in our pocket. And there's the term tiny retoucher. Now I'm imagining having a tiny retoucher in your pocket all the time. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure if I want to be the retoucher being stuck in someone else's pocket. Depends on the person. It depends on the person, right. That's, that, that's true. But in terms of technology, actually you have, I mean, the smartphone you have in your pocket is so strong and so capable of doing things. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, a lot of processes are automated and of course you don't do a full retouch on your image. But you can come up with a concept and making a chart or everything. It's just... Yeah, you can do sketches. Yeah. I mean, I use a lot of textures. I, I, in my work, I use a lot of textures. I shoot a lot of textures, but I don't go out with my camera shooting textures. Um, I can. Yeah, you're doing it with your phone now, right? I do it with my phone. I mean, I can get closer to stuff. I can have easier access with my phone. I don't need the full resolution, even though I have a 12 megapixel camera in my phone. Usually it gets downsized. I mean, for backgrounds and backplates and stuff, you, I would shoot them with my camera. Yeah, that's a different stuff. But if you just want to create a texture or, or making a brush out of it, you don't need yeah. like Or even capture colors or color schemes and stuff. I can do that with my phone. So my phone is a really important extension for, of, my, of my work as well. Or for inspiration, like gathering stuff together. Yeah, definitely. screenshots yeah. wherever you see something and pictures. Yeah. So next to my, my normal camera, I always carry this one around as well. And sometimes you take, I mean, sometimes when I'm on the road, I take pictures or street photography or stuff. I edit them on my phone and be on my way. I don't need to put them in my computer, put them in my archive or anything. They're just on the go. They're being processed and put out there. And it's fun. Yeah. Being productive and creative where you are, right? Yeah. Or fighting boredom instead of playing games. But yeah. So in terms of workflow, um, using Capture One is your starting point and Photoshop is your main driver where you create. Yeah. And how do you come up with the final image? Like you need to export it. Um, what's your preferred way? Are you also using Capture One or exporting from Photoshop or do you do something else or do you have a special routine for putting images out on the web or uh, for a client or whatever it is? Well, it depends on the output. Most of my work is personal work, so most of it goes online. I always make one full-size JPEG export without a reduction of quality or anything, which I put on my website. Sometimes I'll, I'll make a Facebook available image, like 2,084 pixels wide or high, yeah. uh, which seems to be the, the, the general... Um, yeah, it's the gold standard for 
not messing too much with the image. No, definitely not. Maybe some sharpness if it goes online, if it needs to be online or something. But usually yeah. I have this one file, which is the, the, the full resolution file in a JPEG format, which goes onto my website on SmugMug. And from there, I'll download it again from my phone and put it on Instagram and put it on Facebook and put it on anywhere else. Um, but having the full file on, as a JPEG on, on SmugMug is perfect for me. Uh, I don't need a TIFF file. I can put a TIFF file on there if I want to, but the JPEG is good enough. I even printed a few images from the JPEGs. I mean, if you don't put any compression on your JPEG, it'll be fine. Especially if it's not being opened and saved and opened and saved again. No, exactly. So another question, working in Photoshop and being more artistic, which is your favorite blending mode? Overlay. Can you explain why? Probably my most used blending mode overlay next to uh, soft light. I said before, I'm using a lot of textures. I'm using textures to create uh, intricate patterns on faces and stuff. And overlay works best for that. It takes the detail of a texture and it blends it perfectly to you know, on a face. Especially if you put it in, in, if you if you have your texture in grayscale, it'll it'll just take both the highlights and the shadows out of the image. So it blends really well with a face or with a piece, a body part or something. Mm -hmm. So overlay works really well for that. Next to that, you have multiply and screen, which are derivatives of this one because screen just gives you the highlights and multiply just gives you the, the shadows. And the rest are derivatives of those. I mean, if you look in the, in the, in the blending modes panels as well, yeah. you see that they're divided in three or four sections. Brighten and darkening, yeah. contrast enhancement and color. Exactly. Um, right. And luminosity and stuff. And the, the, the lower parts are, I always call them the, the, the special ones, which you can use for, well, color is uh, often overlooked. I, I hardly use it, but. Well, I use color and hue all the time. See, that's it. I'd never use them. I hardly use them. Yeah. To me, the hue is the most overlooked blending mode of all because a lot of people are not using it. And it's so efficient to manually correct skin tones. Really? Yeah. Because with most adjustments, they are in some way or the other bound to other aspects of color or luminosity. So if you're mm -hmm. using curves, you're brightening an image, you're always affecting saturation and sometimes you get hue shifts. And if you're messing around with just color blend mode, you're also affecting saturation if you maybe just want to make a change in the hue. Ah. Oh, that makes sense. And that's why I often use hue because I still have the variance of saturation in the skin, but I can just adjust the hue of the skin tone where it's too red. But I still don't have luminosity affected and I still don't have saturation effect. Changing too many variables at once makes things look too flat. Yeah. So I split up the process and I control every aspect of how much luminosity I want to change, how much saturation I want to change, and how much hue I want to change. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually. That's why I think the hue is often the most overlooked. So another thing I wanted to ask is when you're working for clients, you're not necessarily free with being creative all the time. So there's always kind of a trade-off and some clients you have more freedom of being creative and others not. And what was the weirdest request you might have gotten in terms of retouching or creating an image that you were thinking like, okay, what I'm supposed to do with this request? <laughs> well, that was a couple of years ago. Um, I was doing retouching on a set of images that were being used for a um, competition. The competition was about hair. It was a hair salon competition, mm -hmm. which goes on here in Holland. And they contacted me to do some retouching work on their images. The problem was, basically, in the rules, it is said that you can't use retouching. You're not allowed to use retouching because it needs to be your product. Makes sense, but everybody does it. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a weird situation. Yeah, and they get awarded for what you've been done in Photoshop. Yeah, exactly. I just enhanced everything that they already did. But I was working with this client. This was, the, I think, the second or the third time I was working with them. And they had a, had a shoot, but it didn't turn out the way they wanted it. So there was a lot of back and forth going on with like, yeah, change it to this, change it to that. 
eventually um, time was running out because the deadline was looming and we still needed to finish the images and send them out. And I was like, yeah, what do you want? How do you want it? So long story short, in the end, with two days to go, what I ended up doing, trying to make my client happy and they were very happy with it, was replacing the, the head of a different model from the same shoot. And not only that, I actually hand painted a completely new hairstyle for them by hand. There was not a single real hair in there. Crazy. Yeah. And they won second prize. <laughs> well, you, you should have won second prize. I didn't care. I was paid and I was, I was happy that it was done, but I was like, okay, yeah. I cannot, I, I cannot put this in my portfolio. I cannot do anything with it. So I was just like, just pay me and be gone with, with it. But it's so hard. A lot of people think about compositing work being too easy, but when it comes to doing realistic stuff and taking a hairstyle and putting it onto another head, basically, there's so much in terms of we're working with 2D stuff and we cannot mess around infinitively with the source material. So yeah. the angles have to match completely and stuff like this. So it's much harder to just take components of a person and make them look real yeah. than swapping out a whole yeah. person. Well, I was lucky that the hair that I'd made a different hairstyle so I could get away with a few things, but still. Yeah. I think even though the time investment, it's been not easy, but easier than to figure out on like all the images, which angle could match to add the hair from one image to the other. And then probably even have to enhance it and make it look like they wanted to. Yeah, there was not there was not much material lying around for to work with. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine the trouble you had to go through. I mean, it, it was hell because there was a, a serious deadline for the images as well. So, it, yeah, it, and and to get to what they needed to have, there were like two days before deadline. Right, and they can't say, "Oh, we're gonna reshoot it because we didn't like it." No, because that would make that would cost them even more money. I was like, "Please reshoot," yeah. because it's actually cheaper, I guess. But no, so I learned a lot of that from that shoot um i always tried to keep my cool i mean at some point it was like yeah okay I, i'm doing the best i can it's not nobody's fault it's just like okay this is going to be a hilarious anecdote for the years to come sure and we yeah. all continuously learn how to deal with the clients and make new experiences and you can talk about it but going through all these things with clients and interacting with different people like makes you grow as a private person and as a business person. Sure, definitely. So speaking of growing, for people starting out, can you give them one thing to aspire to and to help them to grow into this industry? Well, yeah, definitely. Um, I think if you're just starting out and even if you've been running around for a few years in this in industry or any industry is always find time to experiment and especially when you're beginning experiment a lot yeah that's a good thing try different things and if i'm teaching a photoshop workshop i'm always saying well there's there's a slider and it can go from here to there yeah and you're always sitting st sticking to 10 percent. why not go all the way to 100 or minus 100 see what happens don't be afraid to do it just because everybody does it this way try the other way why not I mean, we're not bound to, or we're not fixed in following step-by-step -step recipe. And that's also what I like to teach and talk about is we can follow a recipe to learn how other people might do it, but we eventually have to come up with making an experience is, okay, where's this taking me and where is something else taking me? And then yep. create a fundamental understanding out of it. What are you comfortable with? What, what clicks with you? Yeah. I mean, the whole world may say blue is, uh, is, is awesome, but you might think green is awesome. Go with green. Yeah. We all should have green cats, shouldn't we? Green cats. Oh, I would love that. They would do really well as a camouflage color. The thing is, mine is with black, brown, and white because my carpet is the same color. So she's camouflaging on the carpet. Green would be awesome because I would see her better when she's sneaking onto my desk. <laughs> So yeah, may, maybe we will end up with green cats at some point and it's going to be the complete normal to us because why not green cats? Yeah, I'm going to paint my cat green just to see what happens. I want to see that. Yeah, maybe I'll just use Photoshop. I'm good with that. So awesome. We've talked for so long and about so many things. Thank you for taking the time 
and going into all the little details we've been talking about and it was a real pleasure to get insights into an artist's mind here well thank you for being in my mind i mean it was a real pleasure to to be here as well so now tell us we've been talking about workshops do we have any workshops that is coming up where people can go to maybe I know you've been in the States. Was it last year? No, I did. My, my last workshop was in New York in February um, this year. I did a workshop in Utrecht in April. I don't have an exact date for after summer. But they are most likely coming new dates eventually after summer. And where can people go to find more information if there is something available and see all your work? Where should people go? Um, anywhere you feel comfortable. Usually I'm all over the place. I'm, uh, I am on dracarubio.com, which is my main website, mostly my portfolio. Yeah, all my contact information is there as well. So you can find me on Facebook, on Dracarubio. You can find me on Instagram, on Dracarubio. Usually Instagram is my main output source if I have something new to share. Twitter is also Dracarubio. So I, I will put everything in, in the show notes as well. So your website, dracorubio.com, your Instagram, I'm going to put there. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Super nice to get all the insights here. And that's what the show is about, is learning how other people do stuff, experience other people's minds and approaches. And we all learn and grow from just listening to others. And I think listening is, yeah, learning. So that's it for today. This episode is over, but we have a bunch of other episodes. So please go to wherever you are listening, subscribe to the podcast, be it on iTunes, be it on Stitcher, and also check out the website. You can become a member on the website, which is completely free. Check out all the stuff that is on there. Get some free educational stuff, get some free raw files for you to practice on, and also consider taking the chance as a member submitting your images asking questions about retouching and i would like to see you in the next episode bye for now see you around <laughs>